God bless you today. It's always a joy to have you here. And your thousand dollars cannot reproduce until it enters into a covenant with the soul. Baptist Church will picket their funeral. We will remind the living that you can still repent and obey. Live from the Mecca, Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, here at the factory where biblical Christianity meets American evangelicalism. Face to face, I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in this, his ministry. We pray his spirit will be upon you and us. A couple quick announcements. First, we're having an open house this Sunday if you're in the Salt Lake City, Utah, Provo, whatever area from 6 to 8 p.m. here at the factory. How you get here is up on the screen for you. We want to expose the churches and other ministries in the state to our facilities, which we have created in part for them to use. So that's this Sunday night, June 23rd, uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Food will be served, so come hungry. Secondly, we have a number of websites that may be of interest to you. Uh, there's the three of them, hotm.tv, campus.com with hyphens, and Born Again Mormon. BornAgainMormon.com tells you our philosophy of uh, uh, ministry to the LDS, and uh, it's pretty, uh, it's the first site that we have, but it has a lot of information. Of course, HOTM has all the archives of the 300 plus shows, both for Mormonism and for evangelical Christianity, and we're getting those up as we go along. And then campus. Uh, explains our views of doing church, and it also is beginning to host the uh, recordings of our church services that we do, uh, milk and meat on Sundays. So consider checking them out and the information that they provide. Emailer and viewer Dale M. sent us an article from CNN this week. It was written by Eric Maripati, co-editor of the CNN Belief blog. This is the headline, Superman. Uh, colon, flying to a church near you, Baltimore, Maryland. It says, as the new Superman movie takes flight this weekend, filmmakers are hoping that the Man of Steel lands not only in theaters, but also in pulpits. Warner Brothers Studios is aggressively marketing Man of Steel to Christian pastors, inviting them to early screenings, creating Father's Day discussion guides, and producing special film trailers that focus on faith, friendly angles of the movie. The movie studio even asked a theologian from Pepperdine University to provide sermon notes for pastors who want to preach about Superman on Sunday, titled Jesus, the original superhero. I can't take this stuff. The notes run nine pages long, and so they have a pre-made sermon that they uh, Warner Brothers is inviting the preachers to preach and include Superman, the move, the hero in their sermon to get the congregants excited to go and see it. Uh, And here's an example of what the, the pastor might say. How might the story of Superman awaken our passion for the greatest hero who ever lived and died and rose again? The sermon notes ask how anytime it says how might, uh, Seriously question what is being said. How might Christianity get any worse than this? Uh, you got to be kidding. The article goes on with other interesting facts and citations. Dale, who forwarded this article, said, what do you think about this? And, and really, it's, it's a more difficult question that might appear, at least for me. On the positive side, I see archetypes in all uh, things of Christ. You're going to have that when we have light and darkness, when we have good and evil. And so with... Christ coming and being the Savior, there's, you're going to see these models presented in most fiction, in most fantasy. There has to be a good guy. There has to be a bad guy. So you can see Jesus in almost anything, and we're bound to discover him there. So when we, these things speak of him, I get kind of encouraged. It's fun to, to see your beliefs kind of reflected in modern pop culture and, and stuff. 
But I do take issue when Time Warner and their subsidiaries make calculated efforts to appeal to Christians and then market uh, the attempt from the pulpit. Uh, where does it end? I, I just wonder. Will, will Superman show up in churches so the little kids can run about? And, and I, where will it end with this merging and melding of uh, state, our church, and, and, and the world? Uh, it's difficult. See, when the body gets in bed with the things of the world, and I'm not a prude. I, I love movies and I like all those things. But when church gets in bed with the things of the world, it gets pregnant with a bastard child and it's not gonna be a pretty picture. Uh, pulpits have, I've always maintained, no business in promoting or denouncing anything related to the beggarly elements of this world. Pastors, nothing to do with politics. Pastors, no comments on social evils. Pastors should refrain from all this stuff and just teach what the word says, you know? And uh, they're called to feed the flocks and to teach the world, uh, the word not promoting Hollywood films. So teaching the word and letting the word govern the decision of the congregants, I think is how it should be. If I walked into a church with my family and I saw a commercial for Superman and the pastor tout, I would get up and uh, laughing, just, just exit. Finally, the other side to it is Satan's pretty smart. Superman is a fictitious character, and to liken him to the life and work of our real Lord opens ourselves to a very slippery slope. Uh, you just automatically are inviting it, you know, when you're doing these comparisons. And additionally, you have to note that Jesus is really antithetical to the typical superhero that are in comic books and films. Um, he was unattractive. He had nothing that men would desire of him. He was physically weak. He was not some buffed out dude. He couldn't even carry his cross. Now you can say, that's pretty rude. Well, it's true. I mean, if he was a superhero, he could have, he could have elevated the thing over to uh, Calvary, but he needed help even carrying the cross because the, the thing is, it's not the flesh. It's not the man of steel that Christians look to him for. They look to him for his love and for his mercy and for his kindness and for his meekness. And so it makes me laugh when I even see Christian pictures of him looking, you know, like Tom Selleck with long hair. It's just not true. And so all this stuff is, um, I guess it's part of the expected path. I know I'll watch the movie, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure it's been well made, uh, but nevertheless, out of church. Received a tremendous email uh, that was tremendous for reasons I don't think the author intended. It's from Kay, and she says, we recently did a study with my Mormon friend, a Bible study. Uh, the other friend leading the study did it on marriage. She stated that marriage is for this life. She quoted Jesus on the subject of the resurrection, not only in one place, but the parallel passages as well. Our Mormon friend stated, in my church, our doctrine is marriage for all eternity. Just throwing that out there. There in the Bible study, she said that. And then we moved on in the study and ended on how the church will be married to Christ in the end. She writes, on the bright side, my Mormon friend recognized to a degree that the Bible and the Mormon church differ on marriage. The bad side, I'm not sh even sure uh, if she realizes that she denied the words of Christ. How can I lovingly show her this? Now, the reason I say this is a fantastic email is that she's doing a Bible study with a Mormon friend there. That in and of itself is miraculous. If more of those go on, you don't even need to address what Mormonism teaches and what Christians teach. All you gotta do is just teach what the word says and, and it will become apparent to your friends uh, of exactly how there's a contradiction and in time those seeds will be planted and their eyes will open. You see that time and time again. So I really don't think, Kay, that you have to lovingly show her that she denied the words of Christ. It's there. It came to her. She's, I'm, I'm sure she's smart. So I hope that uh, you will allow things like that to bear fruit on their own. This is an email we received from a friend, Dr. Allen, out in Colorado, a longtime viewer. He said, did you know that Christians were persecuted today? Many of us take for granted the freedom to read our Bible and worship at church in our home gatherings. But are you aware that in 50 countries, brothers and sister Christians are not allowed to own a Bible or other Christian literature and are harassed in prison, even killed if they attend meetings and worship in their homes? I was shocked to learn that deadly persecution of Christians isn't a thing of the past, but an everyday occurrence all over the world. Please keep the persecuted body of Christ in your daily prayers and learn more about our brothers and sisters in bondage. 
Consider writing imprisoned saints letters of encouragement. A good place to start is, and, and we have on the screen, www.persecution.com. So we checked out persecution.com, and I'm amazed by its history and its purpose. Uh, it's founded by this guy spent 14 years in prison for being a Christian. This isn't like fantasy and hype. This isn't blown up. This is, these are real stories, and people are killed for their faith all over the world today. So, you know, while we are definitely in need of your support, uh, we can't help but try to get you to motivate you to go to www.persecution.com and see what they're all about. I think it's, I mean, if you can pray for uh, other Christians, if you can write, take time to write letters and our support ministries like that. See, I'm of the opinion that the more of this type of stuff that you and I get exposed to, the more we will become appalled at what is going on in American evangelical Christianity today. And we'll say enough of this uh, uh, prosperity teaching, the self-focus, the me, 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 and Jesus uh, only, and we'll start to look outside ourselves after we have come to know who he is. So, Alan, thank you. Uh, Good reference. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Ah, Father, we are told to pray to you and bring it to you in all things. So let our words be few. We are on earth, you are on high. And we just pray that you will send your spirit to those who are seeking, watching the program now or in the archives later, those in the audience, those struggling. We pray that you will help them uh, with the stuff that we're talking about. Reach the right people. Bless our volunteers and, and everybody else involved. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past few weeks, we've maintained that the manner in which churches do church is directly tied to their soteriology, or that's a big word for how they believe salvation comes about. Uh, In an earlier program, I proposed that the religious institution which does church the best relative to the biblical model were the Mormons or the LDS. Darren wrote in and he said, Sean, when you first said that the LDS church is the best modern model of biblical church on the local level, I was not sure. However, after I thought about it, I realized that it made excellent sense. After giving it some thought, I realized that this is a major factor of what I find attractive about the LDS church. I have never been a member, but I attended some wards and branches at times to get a better understanding of the LDS people. During the process, I had thoughts of joining, but quickly decided against it due to their heretical teachings. I thought that if the core doctrines were made biblical from the top down, that I would likely join. Darren then lists some of the organizational elements present in Mormonism that he admires, including their organized missionary efforts, which surpass any Christian church that he's aware of today. He says, quote, that the LDS investigators can be educated on the basics of any, in any ward gospel meeting. So if you are uh, somebody who's just joined or you are a visitor, they have an actual class that you go to and they teach you what the basics are. You know, that should be, you know, and there's churches who do that. They call it like Christianity 101, stuff like that. Uh, he says that the LDS, uh, the size of the uniform chapels allow for a set number of member uh, prior to expanding into other wards, and this size is manageable for the bishop to tend to that flock. It's true. And he says that all the members join together in uh, helping fellow members, not all of them, but there is definitely a press for them to do that. In the end, Darren adds, I agree that all of those combined factors on the local level are the most biblical enactment of that I've seen of any modern church, I pray that their core doctrines will be corrected. And I agree, Darren. I mean, just imagine this. If Mormonism took their fake history and their non-biblical man-made doctrines and set it aside and then said, we're going to teach uh, Christianity through our organizational form, uh, it would be astounding. Just, it would just be astounding from the young level all the way up if they did that. And I pray for the day when enough LDS leaders will rise up and say, okay, enough of this stuff. Let's, let's stop with all this junk and let's just do that. But uh, also, let's not stop there. Imagine if, if other humble denominations or pastors also learn from the LDS and embrace that model of doing church for their congregations, uh, it would be excellent too. 
with the Bible and only the Bible, Jesus and only Jesus being the focus of every primary and mutual and elders quorum meeting and high priest teaching, relief society, sacrament meeting, seminary class, home teaching. I mean, look at that structure. It's amazing. Now, it does come with a price. In fact, the way they do it today, it's a heavy price for belonging to the Mormon church. So don't take me wrong. Uh, I'm not suggesting the methods that they presently use to keep the Mormon church running is uh, good. Uh, I think the model for the organization is good, but the methods that they use to keep the model afloat is not. Uh, they, they generally use people to grease the wheels of the ward and stake level. Uh, guilt is abundant with LDS people for, you know, want, do we really have to go to that event? Do we really need to do that? I mean, I'm never spending time with my family. Do I really have to go to this meeting? Burnout is common. Families are not put first, even though they say that. And God's name is used by men seeking to uh, increase their numbers. I mean, without a doubt, all of that is present. Maybe these things in the end are what makes them a world power. And if you stripped away their false doctrine and you stripped away those totalistic methodologies which tweak people's minds and hearts, they, the organization wouldn't work, you know? So that's, that's possible. All I'm saying is that if Mormon never changes their doctrine, we can look to the model and methods uh, that are not totalistic and see how they actually do church. And I suggest this because I believe the model in many cases uh, not all, but many used in Christian churches today miss the mark. I, I think that's become apparent. Uh, one more time, there would be nothing wrong with the manner in which any church does anything in church if, one, Jesus and the salvation moment was all that was necessary, and two, they could never walk from their salvation. If those two things are true, Jesus accepting him is all that's needed, and you can never walk or lose, as they say, their salvation. Do church any freaking way you want. Juggle, do Superman films, do whatever, it doesn't matter. But if there is more expected after having coming to know who Jesus is and you and or you can walk from your salvation once you can, uh, have been saved, then church and the way it's done is very, very important. So uh, we will get to what else is important in the Christian walk. Um, so get your papers ready because now I'm just going to cover, before we open up the phone lines and get to emails, uh, the biblical proofs of how you can walk and become once a Christian and not a Christian. All right? So uh, let's start off with the words of Jesus. It would really be easy to apply all of his teachings in the Gospels and make you feel very guilty about what's necessary for salvation. But you gotta remember those words were to the Jews. So it would be unfair of me to appeal to them. However, he does give parables that are applicable. And if, and if we understand them contextually, I don't know how anybody could read the illustration or parable in John 15, what he says in the first eight verses or so, and say it is impossible to walk from your salvation. You ready? So we're going to read them together. John 15, beginning at verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, I have heard people justify these passages by saying that the branches that are taken away by the Father were never really Jesus', Jesus Christian in the first place. But Jesus himself says it clearly. He says, I am the vine, I am the true vine. Every branch in me is what he says. This certainly wouldn't be describing atheists. It wouldn't be describing Hindus. A branch that is in him is in him by faith in him. It's not just, I mean, not every, not every branch that comes off Jesus is, uh, is the world. It's believers. They're branches that spring from him. To say otherwise is intellectually dishonest. So we must note that he is speaking to his 11 disciples too at this moment. Judas is gone. He's already betrayed him. And he says in verse three, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. In other words, we discover, we discover an expectation of fruit bearing. 
you are in Christ, you are a branch growing out of him, and there's an expectation of bearing fruit, okay? That fruit is love, bottom line. And it is unconditional agape, 1 Corinthians 13, love. It is not anything else. So he says, but you gotta bear that fruit. If you're, and if you don't, the husbandman comes along and he cuts you off and you're cast away as a former branch, okay? So uh, they, all these branches are in him, verse five. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You ready? If a man abides not in me, stays not in me, stays not, that's the abiding, staying. He is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now listen, some have tried to say that when Jesus says, if a man abide not in me, he's speaking of those who never were in him. But it's not, it's not really contextually sound. Also, we read that Jesus says they are cast forth as a branch of him. He's the vine, and if you are on the vine and you are not bearing fruit, you are cut off and you are cast forth as a branch, as part of what used to be the body of Christ. And you can't get around it. There is no way to be a branch of a vine unless you are at one time in the vine. Okay, so the premise is clear. He is the vine. You believe in him, and the belief is everything, and grow from that vine as a branch because uh, you, and, and, and as you grow, you have fruit, and the Father prunes you back, but if not, he cuts you away, and you're withered and cast away. Jesus concludes verse 7 and 8. If, there's always these ifs in these passages, you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you want, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Jesus said, how will they know you're my disciples? If you love, bear much fruit, which is love. That's what it all means, okay? First Timothy 4, 1, Paul writes, now the spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Simply put and asked, how do you depart from the faith if you were never in the faith, of the faith, in possession of the faith, how do you depart from the faith? It doesn't make sense. Walking from faith, saving faith, and you walk from salvation, which is why growing in faith is so important to believers, and which is why the way you do church is so important to believers, which is why teaching the word in church is so important to believers, because it's by hearing of the word that faith is increased. You see, this is the cycle that the scripture teaches. All right, the next set of passages to consider are in first chapter of Colossians. Read them with me, beginning at verse 20. Paul says, and speaking of Jesus, and having made peace through the blood of his, speaking of us, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, then Paul adds, and you, he's talking to believers at Coloss, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now you have been reconciled in the body of his flesh through his death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So at this point, we can see that he is speaking to believers, all right? In verse 20, he describes how and who did the saving, Jesus Christ by the cross, all right? Now, then in verse 20, run, he writes, and you have been reconciled. So we know we are talking about believers. Now listen to verse 21 through 23 as I read them together. All right, as they flow together, he says, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through his death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. If, if you continue in the faith, grounded 
and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So he says, if you continue in the faith, you have to abide in the faith. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're going to have sin. You're going to fail. But do you believe through the sin? Those who do not believe once saved, lose it. Walk away from it, not lose it. Walk away from it, all right? I don't hear the doctrine of eternal security in these passages. If you do, call and explain the mental gymnastics that you go through to, to come to these points, all right? Uh, then in 1 Timothy 5:11, Paul writes and says, but the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. How do you cast off your first faith? How do you do that? Uh, and with all, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers and also busybodies, speaking of things they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. Again, how do you cast off your first faith? How do you turn aside from something that you're not in and abiding in and moving forward in? It's impossible. All right, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11 presents us with another description of what I'm trying to convey. In verses one through four, Peter gives a description of salvation enjoyed by people in faith. And then he says at verse five, he says, and besides this, meaning faith, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Listen now, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. And then this last passage is tough to understand, but listen to it. He says, for so an entrance shall be administered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if we stopped at verse 10, we could argue that Peter says, if you do these things, you shall never fall. But he's not speaking of salvation. He's just talking about falling from a good, solid Christian walk. But if you add verse 11 in there uh, and you tie it into the idea of falling, he says, and if you don't fall, now verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. If you don't fall, an entrance will be measured abundantly to you into the everlasting kingdom. I'm telling you, that's predicated on, on your faith. It's, you can, if you do fall, the entrance is not administered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom, all right? I am not in any way, shape, or form suggesting that you have to maintain your uh, salvation by your works, righteousness, your loveliness, your conformity. I am simply saying you can never let go of him. You can't start in him, believe in him, and let go of him. To not let go of him as you mature in this world requires an, an increasing amount of faith. That faith only comes by hearing the word. The churches hear and teach and disciple people in the world. Word. When they don't, they are failing to help their flock move forward in the body. Romans 8 is a mindful. And when I read these passages, I hear and see a model presented for those who abide in faith. Paul's letter is to believers in Rome. It is not to the unsaved. It's to believers who were fighting with each other over uh, there were Jews and there were Gentiles and they were fighting with each other over being in the body together in Romans, all right? And these are some passages for your consideration. Paul says, and if Christ be in you, have you noticed the presence of if in almost all these passages? And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit life because of righteousness. So we have, if Christ is really in you, 
Your body, your flesh, your carnality is dead because of your sin, but your spirit is living. It's just all about identity. Obviously, your flesh is still alive. You're still on this earth. He says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Meaning that the thing that raised Jesus from the dead to new life is in you now, and it will raise you to new life. And so while your body, your flesh is no good thing, you don't let it rule, your spirit does, but the body, you're still in the body and it makes life difficult. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Now listen to this qualifier. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. When he says that, death there, you shall die, is not talking about physical death. It's talking about the second death that occurs in the lake of fire. It's a spiritual death, okay? He says, if you live after the flesh, you will die. He's talking to believers. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. He's talking about dying to the flesh, living to the spirit. For as many as are led of the spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. So just understand the Jesus experience is vital, but it is the beginning of the Christian walk, not by works or righteousness, but by living by his spirit, which produces fruits of love. So when you have some idiot who cuts you off in the car, when you're a mature in Christ because you've heard the word and you've grown up, you refrain from taking him out and punching him. You're, you don't get mad when your neighbor betrays you. You don't get angry when somebody at church gossips about you or if this happens or if that happens. It doesn't happen automatically, but this is the purpose of church for us to come together and work on these things together. You are saved immediately when you come to know Jesus, the Jesus experience. It's done. You're there. And it's just about then growing in that faith as a, uh, a shield against this world. Then speaking to the believers in Rome, listen to what Paul says in Romans 11, 22, uh, one verse, behold, therefore the goodness and severity of God on them, the Jews, which fell severity, but toward you, the Gentile converts goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, See, it's not about your goodness once you become a believer, if you continue in his goodness. How do you continue in the goodness of Christ? Faith. If you continue to look to him as the author and finisher of your faith, but you have to continue to believe. Doesn't sound like unconditional election to me. Sounds like believers have to continue in faith. We're gonna wrap it up quickly. Last week, we gave you 2 Peter 2, 20, 21. Uh, for me, it doesn't get much more plain. It says, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it had been better for them if they had not known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the unholy commandment delivered unto them. You can't, you can't dispute it. And then we come to the Hebrew passages. Now the argument has been made that the book of Hebrews was written only for Jews of faith. It's to the Hebrews. Uh, but I would use 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, for it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, all scripture is by inspiration, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly fur uh, furnished unto all good works of love. I'm going to add that, all right? So having said this, Hebrews is part of our New Testament. It is to the Gentile as well as it is to the Jew. All right. We covered the chapter three, but let me give you a couple highlights. Hebrews 3, 6 says, but Christ is a son over his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm until the end? Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, that's why we come to church, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, deceit, sin's gonna be there, but don't become hardened through it. How do you become hardened through it? By not having faith, okay? Let those who have ears to hear. Hebrews 10, 38, listen to what it says. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The next verse is a kind of a qualifier. It says, but we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. 
Now, some will read that second verse and say, well, it's, talking, it's not talking about believers here because he says, we are not those who draw back into perdition. You're not. You aren't one who's going to. You're a believer and follower of Christ. He's speaking, very, he's speaking with encouragement here. Don't be fear here. You don't have to worry about it. Just continue in your faith. That's not you to draw back into perdition. But the point is the concept of drawing back into perdition is present here in that verse as well. And uh, admittedly, this, can, uh, this one can be debated if you want to get into it, but won't. Listen, there are a number of biblical models of what doing church looks right. Uh, we know size is tacitly, tacitly limited by the model of the flock. A shepherd can't have 10,000 sheep. He can't control them, protect them, feed them. A shepherd cannot possibly know their names, all biblical models. And a shepherd cannot hire a hireling, a sub-pastor, sub-sheepdog to come in because the people don't want to talk to the sub. They want to talk to the pastor themselves. Uh, We know that hearing the word is a precedent as it is by hearing the word that faith is increased and faith must be present because if faith is lost, salvation can be, doesn't always, but can be abandoned. We know fellowship is automatic. Prayer is automatic. Breaking of bread is automatic. And being not part of the things of the world, automatic. We know membership is tacitly inferred because the church is called the body. And that we also know that never is the pastor the head of the local uh, community. The pastor is there to serve. The greatest is the servant. He is not the person who gives, uh, this is how it is, you have to abide by that. He is the one who serves and loves, gives his life for the sheep and teaches. That is the position. It's not a, a place of authority. Your authority is always Christ. He is your head. He is the one you look to, not the local pastor. We've lost that with some of these uh, autocratic uh, orchestrations of churches. And finally, Jesus commands the disciples to go forth and make disciples baptizing. And so from that, I would suggest there's a connection between believing and water baptism with water baptism serving both as an identifier of a person who has come to Christ and something the other people on this earth can say, I watched you commit. I'm here to help you uh, stay in the faith. In the face of all this, I would direct people coming out of Mormonism to find a church that generally reflects these things, especially in the focus on teaching the word of God as a means to keep you and yours tapped into the vine in faith, which can and will wane without such principled discipleship. I would encourage you to, since being in the word, discipleship and faith are so vital to the Christian walk that to challenge any and every counter teaching or practice that doesn't do these types of things. Uh, If a pastor tells you to fight the world, uh, tells you how to vote, talks about the politics and all the, uh, the, the, the fighting the world's issues, talks about tithing and, 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 and look at, there's a church in this state where a pastor talks about tithing. He talks about tithing and he says to the congregants, and I'm not going to debate whether it's right or not. You know what the Bible says. That's a damn lie. You know what the Bible says. It says nothing about tithing in the New Testament. Nothing but they use it because it's convenient and it keeps the money flowing for them and their little trips. So listen, uh, challenge them. And if they won't give you a viable answer, walk and go to a place that is going to provide you and your family these things that feed the sheep and don't beat and fleece them. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 590-8413. And we have Rose in Memphis, Tennessee on one. Rose, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Um, I'm calling because I am a recent leaver of the Mormon Church. Awesome. And um, (laughs) I have a very large family that live a little bit further east. Um, I've only been away from them for a couple of years, but I'm going to be seeing them next month. And I was wondering if you had any advice on how I should bring this up, because it's not something that I wanted to tell them over the phone. Yeah. So when you say a large family, one, are you married? Yes. And children? Yeah, I have a three-year-old. What, uh, your husband and you, were you married in the Mormon church or no? No, no. Okay. Uh, you know, Listen, I have learned something in the years of doing this, and it may be applicable to you and may not. I have seen like one out of 10, 
to give you an average, one out of 10 are able to actually influence their family. But usually nine out of 10 times, you're not gonna have any effect. The emotions are too high. There's too much going on between you guys emotionally that when you try to share, it becomes a personal thing. So it's almost like you have to leave your family to come around to uh, knowing who he is by the means of somebody else. So your job is to represent Christ the best way possible and let them see the difference. If it comes up, someone says, wow, you know, how are you doing in your ward? You could just let it out. Well, I'm not really going anymore. Well, how come? Well, and, and what, what is the reason, Rose, that you're not going anywhere? Where are you going? What are you doing? Right. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's, a, that's the best part about it, is that this is actually a long time coming. Um, I married my husband a little over five years ago, and um, this actually goes into uh, another quick question that I have. Is uh, He's always been very kind and very loving, very patient about everything, um, but as the longer we were married, the more he looked into the Mormon church, and the more he thought, okay, well, this is a lot different than I thought we were, so this is something that we have to get fixed. Oh. And um, so he um, started bringing stuff to me, and I wanted, I'm trying to figure out at what point or how exactly, if it can be told, is it done where, I, I hate to use this word because I don't want to offend anyone, but program to just block ourselves off from anything, even if it's not offensive or, you know, he would come to me with stuff that wasn't offensive at all. It, it was just, but I was just automatically like, no, no, I'm not going to look at that. No, I'm not going to read this or, you know. When does that happen? Because I've noticed now that I'm out and I try to talk to people that were in my ward out here that I'm still friends with, um, where they're just so programmed to just not even hear it. Like, they don't even get curious. And I was the same way. Well, you know what, Rose? We are all that way on certain things. If we have invested emotionally into, uh, or with money or time into something, and we hear the truth about it, our knee-jerk reaction is, I'm not gonna listen. Some people cling to that for their entire life. Christians do it, everyone does it. Mormons really do it when it comes to the Mormon church. When, that, when the scales fall from the eyes is really not your job, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to come in and soften and reach people. So really, truly, your job is to pray for them and to use, when someone will come up, you know, hit your sister or something and say, Rose, tell me about what's happened. What, what is this? It'll give you the opportunity, but don't try to, don't try to go into the family gathering with a, a yeah, banner. Yeah, that wasn't the plan. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, definitely, definitely not, because um, the, basically all I could come up with is my whole life, um, I've always, my parents always taught me, you know, have a close relationship with the Lord and do this and, you know, follow what he tells you. And that's what I'm doing. So I, I just don't feel like they can tell me I'm wrong. Good. Well, then stick you to know? that one. That's a good <laughs> um, one. Now, I hate, I'm not trying to, you know, hold you up too much, but I do have one last question. Yeah. Um, I had my mom tell me, this was before I was even thinking about leaving the church and stuff like that, and I don't know if this was a little scare tactic of her own or if this is something that the church actually believes, but um, I have heard both, both sides that if you once believed in the Mormon religion and then you leave and don't come back before you pass, you're automatically going to be cast out. Uh, what it is, okay, are your mom and dad married in the temple? Yes. Okay, this is the deal. Uh, if you leave the church, you will go and you will be, uh, you'll be subject to whatever kind of thing there is. But if your mom and dad remain faithful to their temple covenants, they will ultimately draw you from wherever you have been placed for the punishment up into the celestial kingdom to be with them because the sealing power cannot be denied. So what it does is if you come to know the truth and you walk, it gives your parents this solace. Well, now it's up to us to stay faithful because she'll be with us later. So okay, yeah, that makes sense because I think I've heard yeah. you kind of talk about that a little bit also. Now, if you fight against the Mormon church publicly, then you certainly are eligible for outer darkness. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. You and I will be there together. <laughs> so bring some yeah, water. Um, I hear it's dry. Yeah, I mean, I, I could talk to you for hours, believe me, and I would love to tell my story, but I don't want to take up your whole time. If, um, but before I go, I would like to say, um, what, <coughs> really quick, anyone who's searching for every anything, no matter what religion you are, all it took 
for it was years. It was a battle between my me and my husband. Otherwise, perfectly awesome relationship. But it was a battlefield any time that was brought up. And finally, I said, you want to what? I grew up believing in the Bible. I believe in the Bible. You believe in the Bible. Let's start there. I started reading the Bible. I didn't even get to the New Testament before every question I had was done and answered, and I was gone. Praise God. That's wonderful. And so I just, everybody just do that. <laughs> That's, it's that easy. It's not hard. Well, I want you to know, Rose, somebody will watch and hear what you've said uh, from the archives or tonight or something, and it will have an effect. So keep sharing those messages. All right. I thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Roger in North Adams, Massachusetts. Roger, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I'm back. Who are you? Roger. I called uh, last week. What are you going to say now? Well, I'm going to say the same thing basically I said before. And I'm not hanging up on you. I'm tired of this. All right. I know you can't believe it. Look at It's this mindset. He's going to say the same thing he said before. He did it last week. I, I forgot to tell you. No uh, second callers. We have had dialogue with Roger. Roger has expressed his opinion. I laid out, I don't know how many verses that are very clear and contextually presented. It wasn't just one verse. It was within the realm of what was being said. And he still is going to come and he's going to say there is no way. Now, this is the problem. And you, you got to understand me. When we did Mormonism, we were on the air. The Mormons were incensed that I wouldn't let them have their day in the sun. I'm not, I don't care about you having your day in the sun. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to share you what I believe is true. You go and search it out, but I, I, I'm not here to try to joust with you because what it ends up being is a, I hate the phrase, tit for tat thing. This verse says that. Well, this one says this. Well, this says that. Look it. This is the deal. You preach it. You share it. You decide by turning to your word what is true. Equal time means nothing to me. You have equal time in every other way. The Mormons have more than equal time to share their stuff. So we go after it, we present it, and you decide. Okay, let's go to Steve in, Roch in Rochester, Minnesota. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Good, how you doing? I'm great. Uh, I just had two quick things for you. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I just wanted to say uh, that I really uh, I love the show, I love the, um, the ministry, and I love what you're doing down there. Um, and I've been watching for about a year, and I like the new direction that you're going with it. Um, and uh, I'm keeping you guys in my prayers. And Thanks. I'm really excited for uh, well, the rest of the episodes you're doing this year. But uh, one question I had was about worship. Yeah. And, um, well, I'm a musician, and, I mean, it, I've heard you talk briefly about worship on the show, and I was just wondering uh, why... I think one time you said it just uh, real worship is just uh, Bible verses, I guess, put to music. And I was wondering, I mean, because I'm a musician and I feel like I was gifted with this um, yeah. for a reason. And I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of times when musicians are playing in church uh, for worship, it's uh, it's sort of an easier way to. Uh, you know, uh, glorify God and, and whatever. I was just wondering what your thoughts were. All right, my friend. Uh, we're going to cover whole things on music, but let me just share this with you, okay? Okay. All right. First and foremost, God wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth, okay? You know the song, uh, uh, Away in the Manger? Mm hmm Makes you feel good when you sing it, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah. But what men have done is they've written those words with their full heart, wanting to worship God, and they say a line in there that's simply unfounded. They say, no crying he makes. They do that because they feel like being the Lord, he would never cry as a baby. He was a perfect baby. I mean, because a baby, he just would never do anything. And crying, if he was hungry, he would just sit there and starve until his mom came and fed him. See, what happens is, is we impute our ideas of who God is into the things that are important to us. So we write poetry and we write things about God. And is that worshiping him in spirit and truth? It's very moving. It's really touching. But let me tell you something. Emotionalism is emotionalism. I don't care where you are drawing it from. If you are playing a type of music that really moves you, I can cry to a Metallica song. I think they move me like no other. And I like them. 
And I actually feel like I'm worshiping God sometimes when I'm listening to Hetfield sing, okay? There is no difference between Hetfield's words from his heart singing than yours if yours are not scripturally founded. So what music, what has happened is Chuck Smith in the 60s, he started Maranatha Music, and Christian music took on this certain form and its culture. And everybody sings it. I mean, all the major stars on the radios, they all sing in the same way. And, and, and it's like, Jesus, I love you. Will you date me? And uh, it's all culturally driven. It's, some of it's horrible, too. And, and what it does is, it is it's not based in truth. Spirit, maybe, but not in truth. Now, I know for a fact that when worship bands get up there at many churches, they, they work on the base level, they, lurk, they work on what kind of response they're drawing from the audiences that are there. And they play it just like a rock concert. And so emotionalism is emotionalism is emotionalism. But that is not worship. Worship is when we don't do what we like and feels good. Worship is when we are full, putting our full attention and devotion upon him. The other thing is when a band is in front of us and they're singing and they're playing, I can't help but look at their faces and I can't help but think of them and I can't help but watch their motions and their movements. That is not worshiping God. Now, I know that you emotionally feel like it is, but to me, when men are up in front of you doing it, it's not the same thing as reflecting upon your God in spirit and in truth. This is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to modern evangelical Christian music. Now, all that being said, as a Christian musician, gifted, can you, should you write Christian music? Sure. Should they, can they play it on K-Love? Absolutely. Or the other radio stations. Does it inspire you and want you to love God? Absolutely. Do it. Play it. It's for entertainment. It's a Christian source, just like Christian film. Any of these other things, Christian books, fine, do it. But when it comes to doing church, Let's stick to doing what Jesus did. They sang hymns before he went to the cross. They sang hymns. Those were words that are in our Bible. So take. So that's my point. Does that help? Yeah, that helps a lot. Um, that's actually what I was thinking before I called. I just wanted to see what you thought of it. But yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. That I mean, maybe it's something to do, but not uh, not in church. Similar yeah. to the Superman thing you're talking about. Yeah, similar, very similar. And again, I am not against Christian artists and who are devoting their, I mean, Christian painters who do stuff like uh, Salvador Dali, I think he did some Christian things. I could be wrong on this, Kelly. Uh, but uh, somebody did some Christian art that was profoundly moving and it moves me emotionally. But I don't know that we should have a Dali, you know, in church, you know, cubism yeah. and from a distance. Yeah. and. I don't know, you know, but this is not me saying it has to be. This is just exploratory stuff to get ourselves thinking about what we're doing, because we have to admit, Steve, and I think you would, some churches have gone overboard. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All right, my brother, use your talents. All right. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. That was a great call. I really liked that. Okay. So some e-mollies. Um, Someone pointed out that I had made a disparaging remark against YWAM and that they had been involved with a YWAM in Denver, and it was very good and well run. And you know, I'm sorry when I make these hasty generalizations and lump everybody into the same boat. Uh, people are people, programs are programs, there's good and bad in everything. I'm sure there are good YWAM, I don't even know what it is, I said we'd cover it later. There's good YWAM out there, uh, uh, but I'm sure there's bad too. So the whole thing is about being, having a discerning eye and kind of listening and seeing what's going on and say, wait a minute, this is baloney, or okay, I, I, I like that, all right? That's, that's all it was. We will cover YWAM later. Um, pastor wrote me from Idaho, my concern, uh, you are moving from Mormonism to evangelical Christianity. Your focus is putting you in the same place of some of these others. All they do is pick on the church. Did God call you to serving the LDS or the evangelical movement? Are you on a tangent from your calling? You have been a very effective in what you have done. Uh, you know, I gotta tell you something. I was talking to my wife today about this. Before the January 1 show where we announced we were gonna go after evangelical Christianity this year alone, as we drove to the studio, I said, you know what this could do to us? And she said, I know. And 
um, it's very tough sometimes to do what you think you need to do. We are doing this in the name of our outreach to the LDS because we spent seven years pulling them out, pulling them out, pulling them out. And yet we see they're going to churches with fog machines and, and this stuff and not teaching the word. So we said, listen, let's do them a favor and let's examine what evangelical Christianity does in the context that if you leave Mormonism, what to look for. And then they'll have an archive of 50 or 40 shows that they can choose and watch. That's the whole thing. And we said that we were going to come back to Mormonism at the end of that year. So it's been very difficult. I mean, we have been hit in the teeth with uh, the, the finances. Um, and it's for a number of reasons. It's not just people don't agree. It's that they, we've lost touch. We're not on the TV here, things like that. And I'm not saying that to, to pimp for money. I'm just telling you, we knew the cost going in. But there's teleological performance and there's duontological reasonings behind do, doing things. Two big words. Duontological means this is right. You do it because it's right. Teleological means you do it because it's going to have a very good benefit. Mormonism is teleological driven. They do what is going to benefit them the most. That's why they switch around on their doctrines and their teachings and their practices. And, and they constantly morph because it's teleologically centered so that they can survive. But God, his word is uh, duontologically centered, meaning I'm going to do what's right no matter what the cost is, hell or high water. So if I have to say this is this and this is this, I'm going to do it. And I've tried to, to base my life and ministry on that. I'm going to say what I believe is right in the right time, no matter what the end result is going to be. That's the way you really, I believe, you should do ministry. At least that's the way we are going to do ministry. And that's why we are on evangelical Christianity uh, today. Oh, let me see. Uh, not that one. That one's too. Oh, we've had people who have written, and I haven't, I've been meaning to address this. We have Doug on line one. How much time, Derek? Just yell it out. Three minutes. We'll try you, Doug. You have two minutes. Hey, uh, Romans one twenty-eight. What does it say, Doug? Even, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. These people never believe. Okay, that's talking about Romans. At the, you're taking that single passage from Romans and applying it to every passage I just gave that were in Peter, Hebrews, Timothy, John. Hey. No more dope smoking. That was the same guy from last week. I'm not being rude to him. Okay, listen. Uh, uh, one last thing. We've had people comment on the Anabaptist thing. And wow, do you know that... The Anabaptists were the parent church of this that happened, and of polygamy, and of this, and of that. And the model I gave uh, for, the, for really astounding Christians were the founders, the early, early, early founders of the Anabaptist movement, who principally said, look, we are not, even if it's the law, going to baptize babies. And we are going to do a believer's baptism, and we are gonna follow the word, and they suffered death and torture for doing it. That was the point of bringing out the Anabaptists. So when I said, where are the Anabaptists today? I meant in the context of that. Every, every man-made group will, fall, will go off and have um, splinter groups and defections and ugly results because we're men and women and it's a fallen world. I'm sure if campus is around long enough, we're gonna have camp eyes out there that are doing unbelievable things. But it doesn't mean you don't start trying to do it right. And so that was the point of bringing the Anabaptists up in the first place. Um, are there any? Uh, nope. How much time, D? One minuto. Uh, I share this last thing as a warning to everybody listening. This is from Jillian. She uh, married an LDS man. They have children and the family, she says, uh, for a couple years really embraced her, brought her in, loved her as one of their own. She wasn't a, a believer. I mean, she wasn't a Mormon. She was a Christian. It says, well, anyway, his whole family pretends to like me for a couple years while trying to get me to go to church. And I always respectfully declined to go into because of what I believe. 
and um, I have been the most, I have had the most horrific experience with these people who pretend they are better than the world because they go to church and pay their tithing while blatantly lie about me to anyone who will listen. I really have experienced the evilness of this religion uh, and what they are, can do to people. I am ready to burst. The reason I'm writing is I need help. How do I not let these people get to me? What do I do? How can I respond? I am really just in need of some advice on how to handle this or cope with it. I pray that I've, uh, I'm losing control of my sanity and everything they're doing really affects me. When you get involved with a totalist group, whether it's Jim Jones or whether it's much kinder, softer, gentler Mormonism, when you buck the system and you're not part of the in crowd, you're on the outside and the pressure comes. And if you don't buckle to it within a few years, they turn on you and they make your life hell. And so the, the point of the warning is don't marry a Mormon. Don't marry outside of your general faith because uh, these groups can be vicious and they want people to adhere to what they have so they're friendly and kind as long as you're not fighting it or, and if you're giving into it, but if you don't, it's problematic. We're gonna wrap it up with that. Keep tuning in. Tell your friends about the program, please. Go to hotm.tv for more information about the program and shows and all of our archives. We'll see you next week and a new here on Heart of the Matter. Good job, Bobby Ants. Hello, Johnny Boy.